All right, we're continuing our series on on um, a heart after God's own heart, and uh, it's it's just been a great exercising of myself uh, as I've been preparing these two, just to distill in my own heart what what matters, what what are the values that really uh, matter most. And um, sometimes church life can can put a skin of complication over all that as you're trying to meet all the needs and all the all the stuff that's going on, but. This has just been a great process for us to boil it back again to say what is the heart of a Christian and what does it look like? And so we've looked at various elements of David's life uh, where he confronted Goliath and he decided no one's going to set my priorities other than God himself. We looked at um, Saul in the cave and letting God be God. We've looked at the, uh, the six steps of bringing the ark in and letting God be my strength. We saw where David confronted his own men because people mattered more than the spoils of war to him. And, uh, and then last time we looked at the fact that he will not give to God that which costs us nothing. And uh, this is a raw Christian life that we're seeing here. And it, I think we need to boil ourselves back down to that, um, to confront the idols of this day, the, the, the comfort of this day that seeks to dilute Christianity down to being a lifestyle, not a mission. And so today I want to really go into what possibly for David was his most important value and that's to make a place for God and uh, for him this was everything this was what guided his life whatever his situation was he found a place for God there the primary place for God when he was shepherding the sheep he had his harp with him and he was and he was playing away and singing and worship God was with him in that place when he was in the cave hiding away from all those that pursued him he, he sought God there as well but ultimately when he found his home as king and, his, and the convergence of all that God had made him to be came to be and he finally was about to settle as king of the nation, his priority became how do I make a place for God? So this was his greatest value but it never wavered. The priority never wavered. And then we see in Psalm 63, before he, this time when he's still out in the desert there where he's, he's talking about it and he uses his environment to remind him and this is key in our own life because our environment draws us away from clarity. There's options, there's noise. But he used the hardship, he used all those things that would normally draw us away from God as the very thing that drew him to God. So while he was in the wilderness and, and being persecuted and hungry and hot and, and you know, tired, he used that to remind him how much he needed God in his life. Psalm 63 says, It's a Psalm of David and when he was in the wilderness of Judah, he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. So he's saying, my, my body is thirsty, but my soul is more thirsty. My flesh, it faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, for God to inhabit the, the spaces that we make for him, they have to be the sort of spaces where he's required, where he's wanted and where he needs to be, and it's on the mission and the, the purpose for what he would have. When, we, when it comes to making a space for God, it needs to be a space that only he can fill, because everything is coming at us to fill our lives, to fill our minds, to fill our soul, to fill our stomachs, to fill our time. It's coming at us, but there are spaces that are in us that are designed for God alone, and we can easily fill them with other things. Proverbs 27.7 is, is an interesting one. It just came to me while we were in worship. One who is full loathes the honey, but to the hungry, even the bitter is sweet. 
if our thirst doesn't reflect what David's thirst reflects, that when, when everything was against him, he could put all of that aside and just say, God, the thing I thirst for is you. If, if we're full of every other thing, even the bitter, sorry, even the honey will taste bitter to us. But if we're hungry, if our soul is yearning for the thing that matters most, even if that was bitter, it would still taste sweet. And I just notice with God that God will not compete against the noise in your life. He doesn't come across and say, I can be louder than that because that's not relational. He doesn't want to compete with all the other things that come at us. He's not going to have a better Instagram feed that gets our attention and stops us scrolling. But we tend to fill these sacred spaces that are designed just for him with every other thing because in the absence of intention, they just always will. But he fills the spaces that matter for him the most. I marvel at what God's done this week with, with the Pays kids and the opportunities in the school and the fact we're starting a kids program for those older grades today and there's more coming. The, our vision to see this next generation, it, it's one of the core things that we started with. And, but, now, but then when we converge that with God's timing and we realise we have an obligation and, and we un, need to understand this church has an obligation. You don't get a situation where a movement rings up a guy and says, we want to give you a building like this. Church planting doesn't happen that way. It, it's normally the barbarian way. You've got to go and meet in a house and then bump into a school and, and it's tough and it's really difficult. But God knows, you know, I'm, I'm a, not a good guy with maintenance, a, a property that needs a paint job every two years and a lawn's mowed. My mind is going to be somewhere else. I want to go slay the dragon and meet the biggest need. And God knew that he, if he wanted to get me involved in something that was going to change the world, I needed not to worry about facilities, you know. And so this happened. Only God could do that because the mission is so important. But the obligation that comes with that in this, in this well-resourced area of the world is that all the resources that we bring, we've got to be aware we're not here for our own comfort and we're not here for the convenience of, of having a nice church that started up. Our obligation is to this state and to this nation to provide resources and people and fuel and initiative and passion that they can't bring themselves because we've been given it and it's been made easy for us to do that, to facilitate the thing that only we can do. And there are people in this room today who have resources and visions and ideas and capacities that are needed to meet the needs that are out there. Because we're still sending our kids headlong at grade 12 into the world without any direction, without any clear discipleship. They're still dropping out of church world at 50,000 every single year out of church world at grade 12. And we can play a part in doing that and we're doing that by creating these pathways and these programs that we're doing. It's costing us. Our budget for the church that's our size is probably three or four times what it could be for a church uh, of equal size in a different part of Brisbane. There's a lot of resources come in here and it's to push those resources out. So that money is well spent and that time that we spend is well spent. And it's not just what we see here. The ripples are going out for that. So it matters. And if you, fill that, if you create a space for God to fill, God fills it if it's the stuff that he's on about. But when it comes to this passion, because, sorry, I'm playing with my notes here. When it comes to this passion that, that David had to make a space for God in his life, it's always going to come back to not being the institution. We can't say, well, when the church gets its act together and creates a space for me that's conducive to me seeking God, that's when I'm going to seek God. Because we can do that, and if our heart's not prepared, we still won't do it. But in the absence of that, if our heart's prepared, we will always do that. There was nothing going for David 
that compelled him. Oh, this is, oh, the, the, the traffic's gone light for me now. The, um, I've got the stoplight in life and I've got time to seek God now. You know, finally it's gone quiet enough. Regardless of his situation, seeking God always came first. Everything else had to wait. It didn't matter what the pressure was. But the reality is, God is everywhere all the time. So when it comes to us, what's this idea of seeking God? Because God's already there. We had a weekend just now and, and we, we used to call them encounter God retreats. It's like, well, and people used to push back at me, well, I can encounter God anytime. He's inside me. Yeah, absolutely. He's everywhere out there. He's, he's in here. What, what are you talking about encountering God? The reality is God's manifest presence and His power in your life alters when people seek Him more. That's just the reality. In Hebrews, it says that, that this God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And the Greek word there is not just something, oh, I want that, I'd like that. It, it means those who want that and will do whatever it takes to get that. Their, their desire results in an action. And there's something about that, that dynamic because the kingdom is relational. That it's got to be personal. It's got to be something that happens in our heart. But I know, and I didn't bring my device up here now, but I know when, when I look at my device, as you do with yours, I, the first thing you check is what signal am I on? It's 5G, great, 4G, okay, but wireless, even better. But we notice that whenever I'm logged into that, I'm logged out of God. Have you noticed that? Whenever you're looking at that thing, you're logged into some network somewhere, you're logged out of God because you're distracted. You've just filled all that space and it may, you may need to for work or whatever you're doing at the time. But when it comes to the God space, we've got to create that space for God and God will not share the network with you. He will not, he will not be on two networks at once. You've got to get into the God network. We've got to dial into that. And the, and the password for that network is this. The next slide up on screen. This is the, this is the hack. It's not 5G, it's not 4G, it's not wireless, it's just the God space. And the hack is pursuit. This is how we do passwords these days, isn't it? We replace letters and numbers and I nearly put an exclamation mark after there just to give it a bit more emphasis. But if you wanna, if you wanna log into God's network, if you wanna be able to hear, if you wanna be with Him in this day, in this modern age, that device needs to be far away from you, out of reach and unseen, and we log into God's network and we're listening and we're perceiving and we're pursuing Him. You know why? Because every single move of God that's been of any worth and note in the world, and I'm not, I'm not talking about a brand of church, I'm talking about a move of God, radically different things. Every move of God that's happened in history has happened as a result of people, and it doesn't need to be a big group, it can be one, two or three people pursuing God. It always follows the God seekers, and that is all. That's all. There is no other way to see revival in our own heart or in a community. You can have the lights and the, and, the, and the screens and all the stuff, but that's not going to do it. That will attract a crowd, but it won't attract a heart, and it certainly won't attract God's heart. God won't share networks and He won't fill distracted spaces. So David wanted to make a space for God. When he became king, he, that was the first thing he wanted to do. Psalm 132 verse 3 says, I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. He was where at last he was supposed to be. It was that convergence period of his life where it's all come together now. And the first thing he did was, I am not gonna allow myself to rest in this beautiful house of cedar and stone. You know, I've found my city, I'm not gonna do that. You may be there in your life right now where you've finally got the job you need to have. You've finally got your marriage sorted out. You've finally got it going right. The first thing we do there is make a place for God. 
because all of that good stuff's going to push him straight out unless you get intentional about it. So he set aside planning a temple because he wanted to have God where he was. It's a fascinating process because just like God didn't particularly want a king, God certainly didn't want a temple. God wasn't seeking a, a place. He wasn't, he, he's not seeking this. But he was seeking a man. And because the man wanted the place, he allowed it to happen. Fascinating process. God's not seeking this church either. He's seeking you. James 4 says his jealousy for you, contending for this spirit that's within you, burns like fire. You know, we're so distracted, the passage is saying, like an adulterous heart that's seeking after and looking at every other thing, but, but this spirit that's within us burns jealously. And he won't project that burning onto you. He doesn't make you feel guilty to try and draw you through, through obligation. He says, I'm, I'm sitting here burning. And this Christian life is a life of burning and, and expects and requires us to burn for him as well. The interesting thing about the temple was there was a, before the temple was ultimately built, there was a tabernacle and the tabernacle was mobile because the tabernacle went wherever God's people were. And that was the principle. Wherever, wherever we go, God is with us. But David was now inverting that. So it's now if you want to be with God, you've got to come to this place. And in many ways, as soon as the church does that, it begins to dilute things. But, but God was prepared to uh, tolerate it for the sake of the greater principle that this guy's hunger for him was just all-consuming. And it's because we were made for presence. You and I were made for presence, and you may not feel that. Maybe it's because we've just spent so long distracted by every other thing, but the core, at the core of your humanity, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, the, the theme is God with us, and we were made for only that. I had the pleasure yesterday of, of praying, and I prayed for so many people yesterday, but there was just uh, one, one woman who'd come from a Catholic background and, and um, loved the liturgy of that and all the structure and I, I, can, I could understand her heart. She's come in here and she's been confronted with this idea of God is not distant from me. God is not remote from me. God is not found through a process. That he's real, that he wants to be called dad, that he wants to share this space and get up close and personal, you know. And this spirit of adoption was just coming upon her as she realised it's not, oh, Heavenly Father anymore. It's now, it's Dad, my Dad. And He's this close. Changes your life. That's what we're made for. So why don't we pursue that? And, and, I, and I'm, as much as anyone, full of understanding about all the reasons why, the distractions that we have. Sometimes it's because we're not convinced it's worth it. We think, well, if I do or if I don't, it's not going to change that much. What are the ramifications of this? I've, I've spent my years as, as a young person pursuing God and it's come and it's gone and life still goes on. Why would I, why would I bother doing that? And I'm not, I'm not going to fight against that because I know, I know that's how life can look. And, and part of that responsibility comes back to the way we do churches these days and, and, and us as leaders. Do I, do I prioritise enough this thing that is the ultimate priority, that you seek God? If you did nothing else with your life, if you, if you didn't meet any of the bars, I'd love to set you for what Christian behaviour should look like. If you just pursued God, that is first prize. If you just had a passion for God to seek Him with all your heart, that's the Holy Grail. Maybe we have gone to low faith churches, whatever the reason would be, we just haven't seen passion, we haven't seen belief, we haven't seen what happens when people get hot for God. We had someone so hot for God here last night, it was just beautiful. The, this, the holy fire of Acts chapter 2 just fell upon her and she couldn't stay still. This is what happens when people are just so full of God, they've just got to let him out. 
There's a moment for that in our life. There are times when we need to embrace that. Sometimes it's because we don't see examples of it. So we're so locked in this echo chamber of our own opinion that attracts like, attracts like. And so we all just end up agreeing with each other because we like the same things and we look the same and we do the same stuff. And, and we create this cycle of monotony that just becomes church world. And we forget to inject into that the thing that started this whole deal in the first place. Wild Christians out there with nothing to lose. Maybe we just don't see the examples. Maybe we just feel like I'm not there. I'm, that's not me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 60-year-old pale male and stale Australian guy born in the western suburbs of Sydney. We don't do this passion stuff. I wonder how passionate we are for our hobbies and our football and all that. We don't seem to question that too deeply, do we? We soon find passion for the things that matter to us. But that passion follows our commitment to that. And we've talked about that before. If we get committed to the right things, our passion will follow that. To be honest, most denominations are grappling with the reality of this, the, the, the reality of powerlessness. And it's not a new thing, it's not even a, a this generation thing. We're talking hundreds of years where we've, we've managed to find a way to do church life in a way that's not reliant on God's presence and God's power in our life. But the questioning continues and, and I won't be changing the subject anytime soon either. We, we birthed as a church that embraced the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that looks civilised, sometimes it doesn't. But we won't be changing the subject on that. A.W. Tozer said, if you, if you dare to read A.W. Tozer's writings, the world is perishing for lack of knowledge of God and the church is famishing for want of his presence. Are you famishing? You know, is your soul, as I'm doing this, does your heart begin to long for more? Because there is more. There's more than this. And I'm not questioning anyone's heart here because I know you. I see you. I know your heart is faithful and we, we long to do the right thing, but, but perhaps we haven't raised the value and created enough of the right spaces as often as we should have where we just pursue presence. Now, some of us here, Duncan and Ruth are here, who just love this. That's, this has always been their agenda. And we've had times where we've had prayer meetings, but there hasn't been a lot of uptake in that kind of stuff. Maybe we need to change that. Definitely we need to change that. Paul defined spiritual life in Romans 15 when he was just doing a quick sum up. For him, it was just taken for granted. But he said, when I'm talking about church world, you know, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry. Or some versions say, I have, I have fully revealed the gospel by word, deed and power done through his power. Faithfulness is always good, but faithfulness is inadequate. It's not enough. We need fruitfulness, and fruitfulness from God can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we pursue what we, what we know is already there? How do we do that? Well, David gave us a few clues in one of his other Psalms, Psalm 27, 8. says, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty, the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And you can just sit there and just dwell on that. And that, that, this can become a, a, a framework, a scaffolding for your own times with God as you set aside time, one hour, two hours, three hours a day. He puts in there seeking. There's an element where we need to seek God, not just be present, not just sit down and go, well, here I am. Uh, you've got my email address. Let me know if you've got something to say. So now I'm, I'm diving in here. I'm leaning in. I'm pursuing him. I'm, I'm going after him. 
And what does that look like? It looks like inquiry. It looks like dwelling. It looks like gazing. They're the words that Paul uses. I'm dwelling with him. I'm, 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 I'm walking with him. It's like Jesus, when the dove fell on his shoulder at his baptism, he walked the rest of his life with that dove in mind saying, I don't want that dove to ever leave me. He was dwelling with him, walking in a way that the dove would stay welcome. And we walk and we create our day in a way where the Spirit, we're hosting His presence all day and we welcome Him in what we do. I gaze upon His beauty. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We behold the glory of the Lord and when we do that, we're being transformed into His image because as we, we become what we behold, are we gazing upon Him? What does that look like? It looks like remembering the goodness of God, remembering the things He's done, remembering the attributes and just thanking Him for who He is and just reflecting our life in the shadow of the greatness of who He is. He is absolute truth. He is absolute Lord. He is always good. He can't not love. And we gaze upon that and we let that infiltrate our DNA. And we let that permeate into the lenses of our life. So everything that we see, we see through the lens of the Lordship of Christ in our life. He would inquire. He goes there to inquire of God. That means I'm, I'm not just looking for... Um, Lord, here's all these issues in my life. Will you fix that? Will you fix that? Will you fix that? In Jesus' name, amen. That's not inquiring of God. It's saying, Lord, what do you think of this area of life? What are you dreaming of that you would love me to be a part of? Lord, what does it look like? And if you're not one who says, well, I, I, I can't hear God. I, I don't perceive Him. He, he has many languages. He does know how to get through to us. But if you struggle with that, try something like journaling where you just sit down and you start writing your prayers out. Write your prayer, take the time in your mind to articulate your inquiry of God. And you'll find that as you do that, the more you do that, you'll find you're, you're writing God's response as He prompts you because He's probably prompting your prayers in the first place. And you get to learn His language. You get to learn His heart. And, and as you, you grow in that skill of writing that down, soon you'll be able to do it without journaling. Soon you'll be able to pray for people and come up to them and just want to bless them and pray over them. And you'll find that as you're live streaming your prayer, God starts live streaming a response and you start prophesying recreationally over people's lives. It's amazing. For me, that's just what normal Christian life should look like. So David did all the stuff Seeking, dwelling, gazing, inquiring. We, there's other ways we can study. We find God in our service, some, some through nature. There's all sorts of pathways that we have into His presence. But for, for David, the final one was praise. And the temple, above all things, was about praise and worship. Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of His people. There is something about worship. There is just something about worship. It's either going to annoy you and frustrate you and compel you to come 25 minutes late to church to avoid it, or something that's going to draw you to make sure you're here 10 minutes early because you don't want to miss a moment of worship. It's a bit binary, I know, but uh, I get to see who comes and when, and, and, and we, there's all sorts of reasons for that, but um, life is complicated, I know. But B, capital B, capital U, capital T. But what's important to us? Why would praise be important? Why, why build a temple built around praise? Because praise aligns you. So your mission in life, Paul talks about this in Ephesians where he says, you know, why are we here? Because you and I together are to reveal to the heavenly realms the manifest glory or the manifold glory, which is slightly different, the manifold glory of God. Manifold means one becomes many or many becomes one. There are many different 
channels. If you have a manifold on a car, a manifold takes uh, one source of air and spreads it over multiple cylinders. But you can reverse that and we can say multiple people sing with one voice in all our different ways and, and good and bad and all the stuff. But we're saying with one voice, Many come together to say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is great. And we're revealing to the spiritual realms who are still asking the same question that, they are, that He asked of Adam and Eve in the garden. Is God really God? You can be like Him. He still, he still presents Himself there now and again asking the same question. Look at those Christians down there. He did it with Job. Look at this guy. Of course he worships you. Everything's going well for him. Well, let's just test that, shall we, says God. And ultimately, with everything taken away from him, he can still say, even though he's slain me, yet I will praise him. And that, so our job is, is the same as Job's. It's the same as Peter when Jesus said, you know, Peter, you've got to understand Satan has asked to sift you, just like he did with Job. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. He's still up there accusing you. Talks about it in Zechariah as well, where he is accusing Joshua the priest. He gets up there and says, look at these people, look at their failures. Our role is as a, to reveal the manifold glory of God through the way we live our life. And we all say in our own way, Jesus is Lord. And we get together through praise and we align ourselves with the agendas of heaven, the truth of heaven. And we, we sing that in unison. And this synergy of faith rattles the courts of heaven, shuts down accusation, defies all that stuff, fulfills an eternal destiny for humanity. That lifts the agenda a bit for praise, doesn't it? That matters more than our job. It matters more than all the frustrations. We get to do what matters in heaven forever. And when we do that, it, it aligns our faith. We start to see things differently. We look through the lens again of what's true and what's right. God is good. God is always love. Jesus is Lord. And we get to do that. And, and our emotions that can be stirred through worship, if we allow them to do that, our emotions are so closely connected to our spirit that we come alive. And God is enthroned on the praises of our people. And more often in, in that environment of worship and praise, we see God do powerful works in people's lives. It's, it's the synergy of faith. That's why miracles more often happen in church world than it does uh, outside of that. So David finally got his way and, he, and um, after he passed away, it was handed on to his son Solomon. Solomon built the temple for him. David did all the planning. Uh, Solomon uh, built the temple. It took seven years, seven years, 30,000 workers. Can you imagine that? 30, who's going to pay that bill? 30,000 doing overtime. It took for seven years. Uh, it, was, it was enormous and, and lined inside and out with, sorry, inside with gold. So every, every face of the temple inside, every wall, every ornament was coated in gold, real gold. I can't imagine what that would have cost. And Chronicles 4 details the amount and the weight of the gold and the, the ornaments and the value and the symbols and the, and the stones and so on. What it meant was that the national treasury of what was the most... Uh, powerful nation in the region was emptied for this one task. This was how important it was to them. It didn't matter what else they had, we'll empty all of that to make a place for God. But the dynamic is what fascinated me. You look at that, they built that and it's like, check out the temple. But God wasn't there yet. Humanity could not have spent more. They could not have exhausted themselves more. They couldn't have done any more to create a space for God. And yet that is not what incited God to come because he never needed it in the first place. Then all the elders came. It's like in our day, it's all, all, the, all our elders and pastors and the movement leaders and all the people who matter. And when they get around, it's like, oh, they're the important people. Now, all those roosters come in 
And they take their seat up on stage and, and say their speech and do their thing. And thank you for that. But God didn't come. That didn't incite his presence. He wasn't impressed by that. That's not something that would draw his attention. He doesn't care about the, the, the positions of men. That's of no incident to him. So they brought the ark in and the ark was supposed to be where God dwelled, where the ark was, there God is. And they brought the ark in, fantastic, but, but God's presence still didn't come. Fascinating. What else do these people have to do to incite God to come? So they sacrificed instead. Let's, let's sacrifice, so they, it says they sacrificed countless bulls. So there was, there was a glut of meat on the market after this day. But the, the blood from the sacrifices was running like a waterfall down the stairs of Jerusalem. It was an incredible scene. I'm not sure I'd want to see it. And yet, with all that atonement going on, it still didn't incite God's presence. So let's pick it up in 2 Chronicles 5 and just see what happened next. When the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard of their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, and their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was a duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for that He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand a minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. It was praise that did it because God's enthroned on the praises of His people. You wanna know God's presence? Become a worshipper. It wasn't all the stuff that they could do. It didn't matter anything to any, of any consequence to God. But when they praised, when they declared in unison and fulfilled their purpose as humanity to reveal the manifold glory of God and they did it all together, it's irresistible for God. It, it produces faith. It incites His presence. It's incredible what happens. It's always been the worshippers, guys. It's always been the God seekers. You wonder where revivals have come from? I've read the history. You see it normally started by one, two, three, five, sometimes old grannies who can't get to a church anymore. So they just say, let's just pray until we die. So 24 seven, the lights are burning on their little house on the hill and they're just praying just for revival. And then after a couple of years of that, sometimes a couple of days, sometimes weeks, months, who knows? They were gonna pray anyway. The Welsh revival triggers off and we still talk about it over a hundred years later or the Great Awakenings, they all start the same way. Some little group, someone determines, I will make a place for God. And they pray in unison and their hearts burn. And for them, the revival is not what happens outside when people start being overcome by the presence of God and bowing in the streets in repentance. It's about the fire that's inside of them because that's revival. And we can each have revival any day of the week because it happens in here. What happens out there is because of that. We can't have that without this. It's always the seekers. It's always the ones who pursue. So I'm gonna just invite the band up. And it's, for me, it's just, I wanna have a holy moment with us together as we don't do anything except just worship and just praise this God. I'm just thankful Susanna's on worship today and not me. I couldn't sing a note. But um, if anyone's got the voice to prophetically lead us in this, it's Susanna. And um, 
After that, if you'd like to have some ministry, the, the prayer team will be there. If you just long to be full of the Spirit and incite you to worship like that and pray, please get some prayer after the service. The Spirit's been working in this house all weekend. Let's continue that and burn with the fire that starts revival. Amen.